Okay, um, Judges chapter 16, Judges 16. And I'd like to uh, just have a look at, um, start off here t- this evening just by having a look at the uh, story of this man called Samson who was probably one of the more interesting characters uh, of the Bible. Uh, he uh, had quite an amazing life. He was a judge over Israel. This was before, this is in the period between uh, when uh, the children of Israel came into the land of Canaan. Uh, they'd left Egypt, of course, under the hand of Moses. Uh, he had uh, passed away before they entered into Canaan, which became the land of Israel. Uh, but Joshua took over then, and then after that period of time, uh, there was uh, uh, the time of the judges, and then later after that was when uh, the uh, uh, the royal throne of uh, David was established. First of all, Saul, of course, and then David. So we're looking at the period there uh, in between uh, uh, entering into the promised land and uh, the uh, time of the kings. And uh, uh, during that time, a number of people judged uh, Israel. They were set up uh, by the Lord uh, and uh, often had some incredible adventures, and Samson was certainly one of the highlights of that. Uh, he uh, was also known as a Nazarite, which meant that he was, uh, well, he'd, he'd uh, uh, had a vow of separation towards God or consecration towards God. And uh, there were a number of things that he was not allowed to do. Uh, he was not allowed to drink. He was not allowed to partake of any of the fruit of the vine. And uh, also, uh, as probably most of us are, are well aware, uh, well, one of the uh, requirements that he had to obey, uh, obey was all the days of his separation there shall no razor come upon his head. And so he, while he was in a position of being separated unto God, then uh, uh, his hair would grow. And in his case, with that came incredible strength, amazing, astonishing strength. And he became a scourge to the enemies of Israel, who were God's people uh, in that uh, uh, time, the Old uh, Testament dispensation there. And when he lost his hair, it was as if he lost his consecration, his separation to God. And when he lost his separation to God, then we know uh, that he lost his strength. And uh, that's what happened to him. Uh, There seems to be uh, in his makeup uh, a particular sort of weakness uh, in that he uh, uh, was uh, uh, sort of overly attracted to uh, chasing after the ladies, uh, to put it quite politely. And uh, we see that uh, there was one particular woman, uh, Delilah by name, uh, who eventually wore him down. And she uh, wanted to know where his strength lay, not because she was particularly interested in that, but the enemies of Israel had put her up to it and said, we will give you money uh, for a price. She sold out uh, Samson and she began to ask him, where is your strength? Where does it come from? And that sort of thing. And uh, uh, he uh, threw up a couple of uh, red herrings to start with there. And then it says, and she went on and on and on. And and we just know how it is. It's... <laughs> But anyway, uh, and uh, eventually uh, he s- told her that it, uh, his strength lay in the fact that he was a Nazarite and that if he had his hair cut, that he would uh, lose his strength. And so that's what happened. They, uh, uh, as she, uh, uh, When he uh, fell asleep, uh, she got some people in and they cut his hair and uh, uh, he uh, lost his strength uh, and the Philistines took him. 
Now, we'll just, that's the story just in, uh, uh, briefly there, but I'd just like to think about the events that happened from that time on. In verse 21 of Judges chapter 16, I think we said the chapter there, verse 21. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza, and they bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. And so we get this uh, picture here, a picture that before had been one of incredible strength of this man who, who could defeat anything and anybody with the jawbone of an ass. He could wipe out an army and uh, uh, all the things that were associated with uh, his strength and so on. We marvel at uh, at one point he picked up the gates of Gaza and he carried them about a 100 kilometers. Astonishing stuff. Amazing stuff. And here now... As he let down his guard, we see that he became brought down so low by his own foolishness. He was reduced to being made sport by his enemies. And here we see him in in this hopeless state. They've taken him. They've bound him. They've gouged his eyes out. And there he stands sightless and helpless and his enemies chain him to a mill. And around and around he goes with no ability to to do anything. His life now was completely in their hands. No doubt they were beating him and they were whipping him and they were mocking him as he goes round and round at this millstone here. This man who was so uh, strong in one time, such a fighter before all of this, suffers such a great loss and a great pain, a great disfigurement, a great dishonor. And we're going to read there, uh, uh, perhaps, uh, uh, where do we get to? Verse, uh, uh, verse 21 there. Howbeit, uh, verse 22. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. And then in verse 23, the lords of the Philistines gathered them uh, together to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God and to rejoice. For they said, our God has delivered Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. He's, he's, he's not a, a shell of who he used to be, and they praised their God. For they said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, call for Samson, that we, he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport. And they set him between the pillars. Now it would appear as though they're in a great hall here, which uh, uh, seated thousands of people. And uh, they set him in this hall between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house stands, that I may lean upon them. He's uh, coming across as being so weak here. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords and the, uh, of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof of the house 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson, as he's between these two pillars and holding on to both of them there, Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and upon which it was borne up and uh, of uh, one in in his right hand or with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, 
Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And he pushed, no doubt there, and the house fell upon the lords and upon the peop- all the people that were therein. And so the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. This is a remarkable end to a remarkable life. A- an astonishing thing. And uh, it leads us perhaps with a, perhaps a, a remarkable thought that's summarized here in verse 30 for us there, that a person could win a greater victory in their death than they could win in their life. Now I'd like to hold that thought there and now think about Jesus and how that he has done that as well. Let's go over to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 15. We should obviously hasten to point out that we're not saying that Jesus was like Samson in his character or makeup. Uh, There was no weakness in him. There was no worldliness in him that would catch him out. Uh, that's what really was the end of Samson. He got caught out by his own foolishness and lust. If anything caught out Jesus, it was love for a fallen race, a love for a sinful man. Of course, we know that he wasn't caught out by that. It was the plan and purpose of God from the very beginning. And uh, uh, But we see a likeness in this story here. Samson was taken and made captive, and he was blinded, and he was betrayed, and he was left all alone. He was taken, as the scripture says of the Lord, by wicked hands. He was abused and assaulted. He was whipped and cursed. He was spat on and reviled. All of these things we read in the scriptures, not happening to to Samson there, but happening to Jesus, that he went through all of those things and the end result, they nailed him to a tree. And we read here in Mark chapter 15 and verse 16. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they uh, uh, would call together the whole band. That's an interesting thing. I only noticed that the other day there. The whole band of soldiers. Not just those that were on duty. Not that just the, the, the half a dozen. What would they, they knew he wasn't going to run away. They knew that uh, he was uh, uh, as a, a lamb before them, as the scripture says there. They knew all of that, but yet they called together the whole band, all of the soldiers that were available in Rome at that time, came together here and persecuted Christ. It's like a type, if you like, of the whole world being against him, everybody being against him. And they, in verse 17, they clothed him with a, with purple and they plaited a crown of thorns and put it upon, about his head. And they began to salute him in a mocking way saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they smote him on the head with a reed or with a stick. He's got this crown of thorns on his head. Now they're hitting him over the head with a stick there. And they did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him. Again, mocking there. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. And they did compel uh, Simon, uh, one Simon, a Cyrenian, uh, who passed by, who passed uh, by, uh, coming out of the country, uh, uh, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they did bring him unto the place called Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. And they gave him to drink uh, wine mingled with myrrh, and he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots, lots upon them, every man, uh, uh, what every man should take, 
and it was the third hour and they crucified him and the superscription was, uh, of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And they uh, uh, with him did crucify two thieves, uh, the one on the right hand and the other on the left. And the scripture was uh, fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors and they that passed by railed on him wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. They were misquoting something that he'd said before. Save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said, uh, uh, said among themselves and to the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Oh, big chance of that anyway. Uh, and they, they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them heard, uh, that uh, stood by when they heard it, they said, Behold, he calls for Elias or Elijah. And one ran and filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink and saying, let alone, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. He died. So it ended. He's defeated. The enemies got their way. They made sport with him. And he had no answer. He had no fight. He had no hope. And his last words we see recorded for us uh, when it cried, when we read there that he cried out with a loud voice. In John we read he cried out, it is finished. It's done. It's finished. And we see a likeness there. We see a fulfillment of the likeness of Samson there. That it was hopeless now. That he'd gone to the grave a defeated man. So it would seem. We'll read uh, perhaps in the verse, the first verse of the next chapter, Mark chapter 16, verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, in fact, I think it said, yeah, it says there, the rising of the sun. It was the first hour of the week they came to the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? The sepulchre was a, like a cave and this stone had been rolled across to seal the body of Christ in. And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away and it was very great. And entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed with a, a white garment, and they were affrighted. They were affrighted. What a great word that is. And this man said to them, be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Behold the place. Look. There's an angel here, I guess, a, a messenger from God. And these people who were, who were despairing and despondent and at the end of their tether, they were coming to this place now and he said to them, behold the place where he lay. Look at this. There's an empty tomb here. This isn't what you were expecting to find, is it? 
This isn't what uh, uh, the plan was according to the Pharisees and the Romans and, uh, and all of those that were against Christ. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. Behold, that means see this, look and see this. In uh, the Gospel of John, we read how that he did that. It says he, he beheld it, he saw it, and then he says, and he believed. Instantly, that moment, he believed. And we read it later on, he, he perhaps wasn't exactly certain what he believed, but he believed something incredible had happened in that tomb. Something astonishing had happened in that period of three days. That life had come back into this lifeless body of Christ. And that, as this angel said here, he's not here, he's risen from the grave. What a turnaround. What an incredible turnaround here. We think of Samson there and how that he had been blinded and he had been uh, made sport of and he had been abused and eventually uh, he died. And so we think here of Jesus had been imprisoned, had been uh, mocked and despised and uh, what a turnaround we see now. He's risen from the dead. I remember the night that I had the gospel preached to me. And uh, uh, there was a whole room full of people. We were taking a lot of drugs. We were drinking and uh, all the things that were associated with all of that. And, uh, 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 they, and these two guys came in with Bibles under their arms. We knew them both. Uh, they had uh, uh, been part of that scene before and taken a lot of drugs and all that sort of thing. But they changed. It was like a light shone out of them. I often think... Uh, uh, back to that time, it was a, a dark and miserable house. It was a bit like my life, really. It was sort of like a, a metaphor of, uh, I think that's the right word, of my life. And uh, uh, it seems to be uh, all the rooms I ever went to at that time in my life were dark and miserable. I remember, uh, digressing a bit further, um, uh, not long after, well, probably a couple of years after, it must have been a couple of years, I think we were married at the time, uh, um, Lynn and I were married, uh, and somebody contacted me, one of the old crowd that I used to hang around with. He'd been having some nightmares about the end of the world and he wanted to talk to me. Well, hell yeah. So uh, I didn't know where he lived or anything. I finally found out and uh, uh, got an address and uh, we went around and saw him and it was a dark and a miserable house. It was just like going back in time for me. And Lynn was amazed. She used to live like this. And, uh, well, not really, wasn't really living, but uh, that's what we used, to, we used to hang around in places like that. And uh, and And so I remember in this room, these lights came in of these two people now that had just received the Holy Spirit. And I remember distinctly them reading out a passage from one of the Gospels of, of uh, uh, I don't know whether it's Mark 16 or, or, or in Luke 24 or where, whereabouts it was, but it was about when Jesus rose from the dead. It was one of those four accounts. And it, it was like a, a light switched on in my head and I suddenly thought to myself, that means he's alive now, right now. As I'm sitting here in this darkened room trying to hide from him, he's alive. And so it is. He's alive. Right now, he's alive. Maybe you've come here to this meeting tonight uncertain about these things. He's alive. He's risen from the grave. If the grave couldn't hold him 2,000 years ago, how could he be dead now? It doesn't make any sense. If he could rise from the dead at that time, the Bible says he's now seated in heavenly places. And the promise of God to you and I is we can be seated with him too. 
that we can be raised up as well. And in his death was his greatest victory. It was an astonishing victory. In his life, he did marvellous things. He, he even raised the dead. But of course, eventually they died again. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he must have passed away again, or otherwise he'd be pulling an amazing amount of money and old age pension at the moment. He must have died. And, and likewise, the, 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 the eyes that were healed of the blind, well, they did dim eventually. And, uh, and, uh, the mouth of the dumb that were, 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 were opened and, uh, and so on. Well, eventually they were silenced. However, in this story here, as he rose from the dead, it was his greatest victory. And it reaches across time and, and, and places. This happened in Jerusalem, the other side of the world from here but it's relevant to Elizabeth Vale in December of 2019. It's just as real today for you and for me. In uh, Samson's time, the house fell down. In the life of Christ, the gates of hell fell down. The gates of hell came crashing down. And this victory that was wrought here at Calvary, reminds us of the words that the Apostle Paul spoke there, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The grave was not victorious. Christ is. Victory over death itself, over sin itself, over your sin, over your death. Christ is raised up above all of that for your eternity to provide for you, hallelujah. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. To heal the body is an astonishing thing, and Jesus did that time and time again in the Gospels. But to heal the soul, to heal an inner man from sin, from death, hallelujah. Colossians 2 verse 14. And it says, oh, in fact, verse 13 we might read there, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened or revived or enlivened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And then it says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took this handwriting that was, a, was condemning us, and he took it out of the way, and he nailed it to his cross. There was handwriting against us. There may be some here, not pointing any fingers, who may at one time in their life, before they came to the Lord obviously, have sat across from a policeman and had a charge sheet written against them. Now I don't know what it's like now, but back in my day, <laughs> back in my day, it was some cop sitting there with his fingers on a typewriter going like and taking forever. But anyway, uh, but and that's what it's like here. Handwritten by God, every sin that would would bind us, everything we've ever done wrong, everything we've ever said wrong, everything we've ever thought wrong, every shortness in our life, recorded in God's own handwriting against us. The shame of it, the guilt of it, and we have no answer to that. We can only say, 
guilty. It's in God's own handwriting there. But the Bible says here, blotted out through Christ. Blotted out. Taken out. Nailed to the cross. And the walls come tumbling down. The walls that separate you and me from God. No record now of those things. What an astonishing thing. No record now. And sometimes we, we, we struggle with that. We, we, we feel guilty about something we may have done in the past. And, uh, and we try and sort of sort it all out and, and, and we feel wretched about ourselves and so on. And, uh, and, and the Lord is in heaven saying, well, hang on a minute. I'll just look up your name here. No, I can't find any record of that. Sorry. No record. Done away with. Blotted out. Completely finished. So it is now for you and I. A new creation. As we are filled with the Holy Ghost. How does it happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because uh, we'll have a look now in uh, Acts chapter 2. Just in case we're uncertain about all of these things here, how does a person have this incredible change in their life? Acts 2 verse 1. The day of Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost, this is after Jesus had been raised from the dead, as we read there in the end of uh, all four of the Gospels, we read about the resurrection. And then uh, uh, the next feast was the, the uh, day of Pentecost. And we read when it was fully come. Now I believe that there's more to that than just being that particular day of Pentecost, that the number of days had been fulfilled here. But this was the day of Pentecost. And it was fully come. This, they hadn't been waiting for this day for, for, for the 50 days from the Passover. They'd been waiting for thousands of years for this day of Pentecost to come. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, the disciples, were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Hallelujah. A new creation. And there may well be some here tonight that haven't had that experience. I'm not certain about that. But if you haven't, why not? Jesus died for this experience, to give it to you. That you might be born again from above, from heaven. Born of the word of God, the scripture says, and not of corruptible seed, but transformed into a spiritual being, a new creation, one that's not going to be bound by the grave and by the shame and the contempt of the world. Hallelujah, a new creation. Let's, uh, we'll just finish off in, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raised the dead. And then it says, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver us, uh, deliver in whom we trust, that he shall yet deliver us. What an amazing verse. It says, we have been delivered, we are being delivered and we will be delivered from the grave, from the world, from the, the, the separation from God. What a victory! Delivered, being delivered and to be delivered. That's our calling. That's our place with the Lord. You know, there's one part there where uh, 
Jesus was talking with Peter and with the disciples there and there was a revelation given to Peter at that time about who Jesus was and uh, during that conversation the uh, uh, the Lord said to Peter the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of God the gates of hell shall not prevail what an astonishing thing elsewhere we read in the scriptures for you know of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor and that you through his poverty might be rich what an astonishing thing again that he was in heaven surrounded by the riches of glory yet he made himself poor so that we could be elevated into that place of richness Hallelujah. all the people say amen Thank you.